So while we may be in lockdown, whatever that means, wherever you are in the world, moving your body reminds you you still have a choice in how you can make a decision. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your daily helping. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. We've got a great guest to share with you today. Dr. Sarah Mackay sums up her research with the words nature, nurture, and neuroplasticity. She's a neuroscientist and science communicator who specializes in translating brain science research into simple, actionable strategies for peak performance, creativity, health, and well-being. As the director of the Neuroscience Academy, Sarah offers training in applied neuroscience and brain health for helping professionals. She authored the popular science book, The Women's Brain Book, The Neuroscience of Health, Hormones, and Happiness, which explores women's health from womb to tomb through the lens of neurobiology. In 2019, she hosted an episode of ABC's flagship science show, Catalyst, exploring biohacking, brain health, and longevity. Later this year, Sarah will will take part in Homeward Bound, a Women in STEM leadership expedition to Antarctica. She's been featured in print media such as the Wall Street Journal, The Guardian, and Sydney Morning Herald. She can be seen or heard on SBS Insight, ABC Radio National, ABC Catalyst, and Channel 7 Mornings. Sarah, welcome to the show. It is great to have you here on The Daily Helping. Oh, thank you very much. It's a privilege to be chatting to you. This is going to be fun, and not just because you're Australian and not just because you're a brain person, but there's so many cool things that I know that we can talk about, and we don't have a lot of brain people on this show, so this is going to be really awesome. I I wanted to ask you first, what really got you excited about the brain? What was your journey to doing what you're doing now? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a very good question. I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to have to correct you on one of those points that you made. I'm not Australian. <laughs> I'm actually a New Zealander, so I grew up in New Zealand. Oh my God, and that's like the um, most insulting thing <laughs> that you can say to a New, Ze- New Zealander. So I, I have just created an international incident for which I That's okay. I've actually got dual, citizen- I've got dual citizenship, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I live in Sydney, Australia, and I've lived here for about, about half of my life. <laughs> but I would say I'm a Kiwi first, first and foremost. That was where I grew up, and it was an a incredible... I mean, the the older I get and the more, you know, time you have to look back on your life, I realise, gosh, I was so lucky to grow up in that in that part of the world. Back, back in the days when nothing much happened there, but I grew up in Christchurch, New Zealand, and I had a, I had a very, very happy childhood. And I had a, you know, wonderful parents and really grew up was one of those kids that had a great love of learning. And I always had my head stuck in a book. And if there wasn't a book to read at breakfast, I'd be reading the back of the cereal pack and just thoroughly enjoyed school. And then I got to my first year of university and I was very fortunate to be in a psychology lecture. And um, the 
lecturer recommended we all get hold of a book and read it. And it was a book called The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat. It's a great classic book. Yeah. By um, a neurologist called Oliver Sacks, which is a classic. I'm, I'm holding a copy of it here. Maybe get that on camera. If you've read it, you'll recognize it. If you haven't, the title is a bit confusing, The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat. But Oliver Sacks was a great neurologist and a wonderful storyteller and wrote a series of kind of case studies about all of the kind of the bizarre things that happen to people when their brains go wrong. And in this instance, the man, the, the poor man, um, had a neurological disorder whereby he mistook everyday objects for other kinds of objects. And in this instance, he thought his wife was a hat and he went to try and put her on his head when he went to leave Sack's office. Um, and that's where the title of the book came. Look, I read that book and I was absolutely just gripped by this idea of brain science. And at that time, this is the very early 90s, it wasn't really a discipline that was that was kind of, I was familiar with, but I was really interested in the biology of psychology. And then someone said to me, oh, well, there's a brand new degree discipline at Otago University, which was about four hours away from where I lived. So I switched universities and went down to Otago to study um, neuroscience. And I was one of the first, I was the first kind of cohort to graduate from Otago University with a degree in neuroscience back in the early 90s. Um, and it really just, the brain captivated me from that moment I, I read that book. And it's, I've never deviated from that path. I think neuroscience is such an incredibly rich, broad and deep subject. And it gives us so many interesting insights into every aspect of who we are and why we do and think and feel and behave and um, aspects about development and ageing and mental health and everything in between. So it's just always captivated me. Um, I was really fortunate to win a scholarship to Oxford University in the UK. So I, I sort of tootled off there and absolutely loved my time there. Um, met a gorgeous Irish economist when I was in Oxford. And um, he's a, he was a sailor as well. Grew up sailing in Dublin, in Ireland. And we got to the end of our studies and thought, well, what are we going to do? Let's go and live somewhere warm and sunny and sail. So we moved to Sydney for a year. And that was in 2002. <laughs> And we've never, we've never left. Um, the beaches are slightly, um, the time of recording this, it's the first week of April 2020. So our access to the beach is somewhat restricted at the moment due to kind of quarantine around coronavirus. Um, but luckily not all of the beaches are closed, so we can still indulge in that. Um, I guess while I was here in Sydney, I did a couple of, um, I had a couple of postdoc um, research positions, which are for those who don't know, after you do your PhD research, then you you go and sort of your first few years outside of your PhD, you work doing doing research in other people's um, research labs. But I started to loved, still loved <clears throat> every aspect of science, but getting very frustrated with academia and having to write research grants and having to narrow my focus down so much. And I think expertise is a wonderful thing and it's what we absolutely need. But for me, I got FOMO. I felt like I was missing out on learning all, everything that there was to know instead of focusing down on one tiny little, little path of research. So I decided after many years of soul searching to hang up my lab coach. And I set, um, 12 years ago now, set up a science communications business, which is now called Think Brain. And I get to indulge in neurobiology, um, but share what I, I take from that research and what we can take from the lab and make useful in, in other people's lives. And I do that, you know, through speaking and not, not speaking on the stage live right now, but um, speaking and writing and 
um, podcasts. So it's it's wonderful. I've always, you know, kind of had a very clear idea of what interested me and I'm lucky that it's carried me through 25 years of my career. Outstanding. I, you are one of countless people who have said the same exact thing about academia and how much happier they are <laughs> once they've vacated that and, and really just been able to pursue their own yeah. ambitions without Look, really the, the restraints. I wouldn't, I wouldn't <laughs> say happier. I would say I feel like I can now write my own kind of career story. Um, I was frustrated in the, with the gatekeepers and the restrictions within academia, but at the same time, it was a wrench and I still miss I miss the people I was surrounded with, really smart, passionate academics and scientists, and I miss just being surrounded by my people all the time. <laughs> well, I, I get that for sure, but you are free now doing your own thing, mm. and I know that you have some expertise in nurturing happy, healthy, high-performing brains, which everybody <laughs> listening to this show is excited about, especially now with what's going on in the world. So from the perspective of a neuroscientist, give us some gold nuggets, give us some bullet points and some some guide stones on things that people should be doing to keep those brains happy and, and firing on all cylinders. Yeah, I think it's always really useful if we're talking about what can we do to promote mind and brain and body health, because really they're all same thing in many ways, I always kind of place the brain in the middle and think, how can we approach brain health in three different dimensions from the bottom up? So how can we nurture our body and our biology to keep our brains happy and healthy? How can we nurture our, our, our brains from, from the outside in? Our brains evolve to move our bodies through the world and interact with the world and perceive and sense the world. So the outside world is fundamental to who we are. So what can we do to nurture our brains from the outside in? And then finally, kind of the hardest sort of slippery ball to hold on to is how can we nurture our brains from the top down in terms of our kind of mindset, our thoughts, our emotional regulation. So if I had to choose, oh, how many, two, two or sort of two or three factors from the bottom up, the outside in and the top down, maybe they would be useful. Maybe it's nine too many. Um, I don't know, but it, it, this gives us a bit of a framework to break it down. So if I'm looking at how can I, you know, stay happy and healthy and kind of moving forward and taking action, especially right now where we're faced with this massive degree of uncertainty, we all have a different level of tolerance to uncertainty. Some people can't stand not knowing what's happening next and other people are kind of a bit more cool in the face of uncertainty. And right now, I guess that's what we're all facing and is is perhaps at the root of a lot of the anxiety a lot of people are experiencing right now. Um, if I was to make some bottom-up recommendations, they're the basics. They're what your mum tells you. Make sure you get enough sleep. I think sleep's a, a, a superpower right now. I love sleep's my my superpower, <laughs> my my top number one skill. My husband's always going on about how I could just sleep forever. Try and get as much sleep as you can when it's dark at night. And I take an afternoon nap most days, but just a short power nap. When I, when I feel a bit dozy in the afternoon at about 2, 2.33, I'll take a 20-minute power nap. I don't let myself fall into deep sleep so it doesn't disrupt my night's sleep. Um, people who um, proactively power nap, they nap in a very strategic way in the afternoons. I don't think I've met anyone who does that who doesn't also sleep very, very well at night. Because of Interesting. Positive, positive associations with sleep. And I think that one of the most boring topics in all of health is nutrition. 
just eat more vegetables and don't eat too much crap and <laughs> try not to eat too many Easter bunnies. I mean, I'm on about my 10th chocolate lint bunny at the moment and I'm drinking too much wine at night, but, you know, that won't last. It's just kind of getting through at the moment. That's just ignoring or dulling or trying to cope with the various emotions that I'm managing right now, as we all are. But we all know the kind of way that we should nourish our bodies. Um, I'm not going to get too much into that because I think it's kind of boring. Um, move. We've got to keep on moving and exercising our bodies. And I think it's really important not to think about this, not just for fitness sake, because of course we need to all stay physically fit and healthy and that reduces our stress and it promotes mental health. But if we are moving our bodies, we are using our bodies for what our brains evolved to do, which is to move our bodies around the world. And that reminds us, it reminds our mind that we still have agency, we still have choice, we're not helpless. So while we may be in lockdown, whatever that means, wherever you are in the world, moving your body reminds you, you still have a choice in how you can make a decision. And even if that decision simply is moving your body around. So it kind of, you know, reminds your mind that you still have choice. Um, so that'd be my bottom up. And they're the kinds of things that we all know, sleep, exercise, and good food. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you. And I can't wait to see where you'll go. Is there a, I am curious about the, what, what your research has shown on exercise. Is there a sweet spot in terms of how much exercise in a day somebody should get involved in for optimal brain health? That's really interesting. There is some research that's come out in the last few years. A meta-analysis was done of a whole lot of different types of um, ways in which we can exercise that was looking at what is the best way to promote mental health. So it was looking at rates of depression and anxiety. And it was looking at how many times a week, um, what type of exercise and how long each of each you know type of exercise you should do. Um, and it looked at everything from tennis to running to gym classes to cycling. Interestingly, the, the sports which, or the, the, the forms of exercise which tended to have the most benefit on mental health were ones that were more social. Um, right now, that's really hard. But a game, of, a, a game of tennis is probably a little bit more fun for most people than going and working out alone, lifting weights. So it was, it was kind of hard there to tease out the social aspect of the sport. They, it was sort of three, three or four times a week. Once you sort of hit six or seven times a week, the 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 rest, the, the benefits sort of started to level off. Mm. So you saw more and more and more benefit the more times a week you exercised until you kind of got to about five times a week. At which point, I guess your body wasn't getting that time to recover and repair. And then the amount of time was kind of between half an hour and an hour of exercise. Okay. But I mean, honestly, you've got to find something that you enjoy doing and that you're going to be able to keep on doing. Absolutely. All right, so we, we got your, your three there. So sleep, exercise, 
and lay off the the good wine. Good nutrition. Lay off the wine and the chocolate bunnies. <laughs> That's all. That's all the stuff we know. Right, right. Um, I think outs, outside in is, is really interesting because um, a lot of people. I I live in the middle of the bush, looking out over the ocean where I live, and spend as much of my time outside as I can. I've got a really outdoorsy. My kids are really outdoorsy. We we spend all of our time outside. So this whole staying at home thing is is an incredible stress to us. We're not worried about the virus. But not being allowed to get outside and play for us is just torture. I think a lot of people have become very, very disconnected from nature. Um, it's almost as if we humans think that we're just so special that we're not part of nature anymore. And we evolved on this planet that spins on its axis and rolls around the sun every 365 days. And I think that we have lost um, our ability to honour that. Um, we spend far too much time inside consuming artificial light and then we might go home at night from our offices and continue to consume artificial light at night time. It's very interesting. You know, we, we know that Apple and Google have made a big deal about having these functionalities on the on our phones that remove the blue light so hmm. that uh, I, I can't... But you keep looking at them. <laughs> right, right. But I mean, like, you I know... Just putting them down. <laughs> for, for many of them at our, you know, the phones after it's like, uh, I, I think they, they sync to the clock time of, of actual yeah. sunset in your local area. But it's yeah. interesting that, you know, part of our brains are responding to that chroma shift moving yeah. away from the, the blue light that's part of daytime more towards, you know, the reds yeah. and the oranges that, that yeah. coincide with, with we sun. Don't, we don't need to rely on a device to do that because the spinning of the earth does that for us every day anyway. I think as well along the lines of that kind of outside in is we're talking about nature and it's so important to be connected to that in whatever way um, you can be right now. I also do do quite a lot of botanical illustration and um, watercolour paintings of like leaves. Um, it's just a little sort of hobby of mine. That's just, I find it is quite soothing and calm and quite mindful. And it's also a way of keeping connected with nature. Um, I think one of the other most important things that we can do, and right now it's a challenge for a lot of people, is, to, is the importance of, of other people the other people out there in the world, just not the nature, but the other people out there that we connect with. There's a researcher here in Australia called Alex Haslam um, who works up in University of Queensland and I interviewed him last year in this um, science documentary that we were doing and he had this wonderful line in there where he said, illness loves nothing more than to get its teeth into a lonely person. And we understand that when people are isolated or they feel alone, they feel isolated, whether or not they actually are physically isolated or socially isolated. It's that feeling that you get if you feel that you're alone. And I think if I had to choose one other outside in, besides kind of nature and other people, maybe I'll just leave it at two for outside in. How's that? Okay. We, we can leave it at two. Absolutely. We'll leave it at two. All right. So we've got our outside in and we've got nature and we've got social people. Hanging out yeah. with, hard now, but we got Zoom and we've got FaceTime and all of these things that allow us to at least see our friends and loved ones. Mm. And then we've got the diet and the exercise and the sleep. And sleep, yep. So we've got yep. bottom up, we've got outside in. And the last, they're harder to hold on to, as I say. It's like a slippery ball. You don't quite know how to grasp hold of it. And that's, that's top down. So what can we do to promote our brain health, our physical health and well-being, when we look at our, our kind of our thoughts and our mindset and our emotions, one of the nutrients that our brain needs is intellectual stimulation and engagement. 
Now, that's not simply going to university and studying neuroscience. That's just continually challenging and growing and extending your kind of intellectual capabilities. The more we ask of our brains, the more they will kind of repay us um, as, as we go, go, go through the lifespan. So I think we need to be thinking about how we can sort of stay intellectually engaged and cognitively challenged throughout the lifespan and to especially people who are getting through to the end of perhaps their working lives. Lots of people get very excited at the prospect of retirement. Other people couldn't think of anything worse. And I do think we need to continue to, to find ways to intellectually stimulate ourselves because we have some very, very clear evidence that the, the very process of kind of thinking and being engaged um, is using the brain for what it evolved to do, which is to think. I've seen quite a bit of research around that exact topic to where mm. people that retire that just sit around and watch TV actually yeah. have a higher prevalence rate of dementiative diseases than those yeah. that are Absolutely. constantly so reading. I, I, yeah. I have heard it being said that, that retirement can be neurotoxic. Mm. I think that's quite extreme language saying retirement is neurotoxic, but I think if you are retiring and then you're going to sit down and you're going to watch crappy TV, I mean, there's some really great TV out there these days, but, um, you know, you're kind of not asking anything of your mind anymore. I want to jump back into the cortisol piece because a lot of people are familiar yeah. with cortisol and it's a stress hormone, but talk to us specifically about what prolonged cortisol can do to your brain. Yeah, well, so cortisol is one of the, the it's kind of like the second responder almost when um, we are challenged or threatened by something. Well, you tend to use the word stress as a bad thing. That's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, a little bit of stress is, is probably a good thing. If we didn't have a little bit of neural kind of tension, you and me wouldn't have managed to have this podcast conversation at the right time. So a little bit of stress that we can um, experience and recover from reasonably quickly is, 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 is never going to be a bad thing. The stress levels that we measured in the um, the old folk in the old people's home, it was interesting. The very first day of the choir, we brought them all together. We measured the baseline stress level at the beginning before they walked into the room. And at the end of the hour when they'd been doing their singing, and everyone's stress levels went up quite significantly because they were in a new situation, a new environment with people they'd never met before doing something new. And so, yes, that increased their stress levels of cortisol, but it wasn't necessarily a negative stress, it wasn't a negative stress, it wasn't um, prolonged and it wasn't excessive, it was just an event that was something new and different for them. And so our bodies have evolved to be able to respond to new and different events and it kind of places us in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a good biochemical physiological position to be able to cope. The problems arise when stress is incredibly prolonged when we don't have the um, right tools or resources at our disposal to be able to um, bring our stress levels down. There are a couple of physiological tools that we can use and there's also social tools that we can use. So if a group of people looks at a stressful event and thinks, how is this affecting me individually, that is, a far, more, that is far more stressful than if as a group we go, how is this event affecting us and how are we going to cope? So we have very, very clear data that um, when people remain socially connected and they look at a challenge um, being faced as a, as a group, that is going to lower their levels of cortisol far more so than when someone is facing um, a challenge individually. Makes perfect sense. 
Uh, Sarah, this has been awesome. And you've given us some really good tips that we can use, especially now with what's going on in the world. As you know, I like to wrap up every episode of my show by asking my guests one single question. That is, what is your biggest helping? That most important piece of information you'd like somebody to walk away with after hearing our conversation today? Look, I really think it goes back to the very first bottom up <laughs> fact that I talked about, and that's sleep. Um, without even one good night's sleep, everything else sort of, it's a bit of a domino effect. Everything else sort of starts to fall down. It's harder to exercise. It's harder to be emotionally regulated. It's harder to connect socially. We're not going to eat as well. We're not going to have the energy to go out and take a run or connect with the world. So I think finding ways to honour the fact that we are these biological organisms that evolved to function best in a light-dark cycle, that would be, that's that's kind of the best way that we can help ourselves. And if anything else, it's a really lovely way to pass time. Absolutely. Well, I appreciated that information. I know everybody listening to this does. Tell us where people can find out about you and your work online. Yeah, um, I am in the middle of giving my website a massive makeover. Um, not even just a facelift or a new hairstyle, a, a complete makeover. So um, the links that I give you now will will probably track through to to the to the new site. I'll give you um, a, a great link that people can go away and they can download a brain health toolkit that will help them kind of unpack a lot of these bottom up, outside and top down um, sort of tips for happy, healthy, high performing brains. If they go to drsarahmackay.com forward slash toolkit, you'll be able to download um, my brain health toolkit that'll give them lots more kind of to sink their teeth into and to kind of keep that mind ticking over. Um, You can also find me on Instagram, although I have to look up my own Instagram (laughs) handle. Um, I think it's Sarah Marie with two E's Mackay. I'm clearly um, not all over social. I'm not one of those Insta chicks all over social media. Sarah Marie with two E's Mackay on Instagram, but you'll be able to, if you just Google Sarah Mackay, neuroscience um, as well, I'm all over the internet, you'll find me in all kinds of interesting places. Beautiful. And for you Americans listening to this, like myself, who would have totally butchered her name otherwise, that's D-R-S-A-R-A-H-M-C-K-A-Y.com. Sounds like Mackay, spells like McKay for us Americans over here. Americans. (laughs) Well, Sarah, we're going to have all the links to everything Dr. Mackay in the Daily Helping show notes for your episode at our website, as well as in the Daily Helping app. So everybody will be able to get their hands on that brain toolkit. But I want to thank you for coming on the show today, especially now the world needs things just like what you've got. So thanks for coming on and sharing some great tips with us today. You are very welcome. And I want to thank each and every one of you as well who chose to listen to this episode. If you like what you heard, go subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review because this is what helps other people find the show. But most importantly, do something nice for somebody today. I know we're all stuck in our homes, but we've got the internet and we've got Zoom and we've got all of these tools where we can connect with people. Maybe somebody you haven't talked to in a long time. Tell them how much they mean to you. Do something kind for somebody else. Post it in those social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping because the happiest people are those that help others.